right, final hour. Fan Morgan Show, final hour of the week, final hour of the day. Final hour of this show ever without Jose Bautista on the level of excellence. That's true. Get your wake and rake submissions in. We're going for three in a row. Yeah, I've been doing my part. So have the Jays. We won't say what they've been doing, but they've been doing their part as well. They've been doing their part to catch these victories. Hopefully they can do uh, the same. But yeah, it's a big weekend in Toronto. Uh, I assume you're not going down to the ballpark. I think we probably would have brought it up already. Yeah, I I would have mentioned it, and I am not. I'll be uh, rotting on my couch. Yeah, I'll be doing. Uh, I'll be doing the same. Uh, I'll definitely be tuning in because it's going to be a good moment. I don't. I don't. I haven't uh, heard who's going to be there. I don't think we've been given that opportunity uh, to find out just yet. Uh, but it should be a, a pretty lengthy and impressive list of guys who are going to come over uh, and, and be a part of this moment because Jose Bautista, one of the greatest Blue Jays of all time, uh, will be included in the level of excellence, and that is means for partying. Yeah, of course it is. We we talked about it. We talked about it yesterday. The idea of like who would be the biggest kind of pops from guys from that era, right? Like John Gibbons obviously would be very high on that list. Marcus Stroman is another guy who like people like let's not pretend there's not a little confliction in the fan base there. It's like he's going to be in the building. It's very cool that he's there for that moment. You know, the guy we're endeavoring to connect with Donaldson obviously would get a massive, massive response. But, you know, you think of guys who have left the game since, right? Like What's Russell Martin doing? Is he poking around? If he pops his head up this weekend, would not be overly surprised. Would be great to see. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you think of that era, and it's just one that people look back on super, super fondly. And I really don't expect that to change anytime soon. Why would it? Yeah. So we're waiting to connect with uh, Josh Donaldson. Hopefully, he's going to call in here soon. Uh, do, we should rehash the Blue Jays discussion that we had uh, in the initial block today, just a little bit. We did touch on George Springer and the incident and being thrown out of the game and so on and. So so forth. Uh, I guess what naturally happens when you have a situation like that is the call for robot umpires. I don't think you and I have ever talked about it. So I'd love to hear your opinion. Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not there. It's right. Like, I'm sure we will look back on this in 50 years. And like my kid's going to be a baseball fan. I've been like, dad, you didn't go to game. I'm like, oh yeah, I went to games. And there was just a dude back there going, whatever he thought it was on the black. Mm -hmm. Like, with a naked eye through the, the the clear light of day, as I wonderfully said the other day, I can understand that it just makes sense to do the robot ump thing, but I'm sorry. I like human error in my sport. I like a little wiggle room in my sport. I like some gray area. And, you know, when it comes to pitchers, like specifically with the strike zone, because that's what most people talk about with the robot umps, is I like if a pitcher is pounding the zone, that he gets the odd call that maybe he shouldn't. I like if a guy's working fast, he probably gets the benefit of the doubt. And mm-hmm. on the other side of things, I like if a guy is all over the place, the ump going, yeah, you know what? That was a strike. Even all over the place. And that's you missed your spot. You're not getting it. Yeah. yeah, and that's another part of it. If a catcher sets up low and it clips his own high, probably shouldn't get that call either. So I think that's all part of the nuance of the game. And it's, again, like... I know in my heart of hearts, one day we're going to just have robot umps, especially for that. And it's going to seem ridiculous that we did it any other way, but I'm just not ready to let go, even if that makes me wrong. Yeah, I think you all the points you raise are parts of the reason why I am ruining that day. I don't want that day to happen. I, I don't think it actually would be good for baseball. I think the things that you mentioned are important, but I also think like it takes away 
from skills. Like framing is a thing. Deception mm -hmm. is a thing. Like you take away a, a, a thing, a skill that ca some catchers have and some don't, then you're negatively impacting certain players. And, and I think there's also the thing to pitching where you're, you're kind of solving a puzzle uh, every time you go out there, you're solving a mm -hmm. lineup or trying to solve a lineup, but you're also getting a feel for what is and what isn't, and that's specific to different umpires. And the best pitchers can adapt. And if there are other, there are other little pillars there to adapt around. If you're a pitcher, I think it shows what you are as an athlete and what you are as a competitor and what you are as a baseball pitcher. So I feel like it takes away or would take away from the best of the best just a little bit yep. because if someone can pick up on the trend or what the strike zone actually is on that day, it says more about their skill. And of course, catchers, like there are some that are just way better than others and it's all about deceiving the batter, but it's also in some ways about deceiving the umpire and the best athletes, the best baseball players, the best pitchers and catchers, they can use that to their advantage and I don't want to see that loss from the game. Yeah, the other part of it as well that kind of jumps out to me just thinking about this is that, now I want to be clear, like, I don't think you should have 70-year-olds umping baseball games, but Major League Baseball doesn't have the same problems that the NHL and NFL and NBA do that you don't require, like, you want somebody who can move around and they're fine out there, but you don't need someone who can keep up with an NHL player on skates or who can keep up with a quarterback in the NFL or anything along those lines. Like, there is just a bigger pool of people to select from, from this as well. And this is all part of the conversations we have about how, like, what are the streams of umps coming into the game? And again, this isn't just an ump conversation. We have this with, like, the NHL is actively recruiting college players and guys who maybe don't have a pro career to switch because you need a basic floor. Whereas with baseball, it's like the basic floor is being able to stand in a squat position for a mm -hmm. little bit, which, hey, I'm not going to sit here and say I'd like to do for that long, but it is not, uh, it's not exactly asking you to be an NHL skater either. And now that I think about it, actually, though, like it's for the older gentleman doing the job. I mean, that's well, it's that the eyes of... that it's the eyes that really worry me there. Like my eyes suck and I'm in my thirties. They must have back issues. Uh, I would think because they're doing like a little bit of a lean and they're standing there for three plus hours. I will say though, I mean, you you're hanging out uh, at Scotiabank arena and, and walking through the bowels mm -hmm. in order to get up to uh, the press box. I mean, these refs are going through, through like full calisthenic workouts oh, I know. Before, it's nuts. before games. Like, yeah, it is pretty demanding on them. Certainly more demanding than it is uh, on the One umpires. other thing about umps, and this is just like, this will never happen. But if they're just like, because I think what's going to happen in baseball is we're moving to them basically being like decoration. They're going to be like living art where they'll call the strikes yeah. that the AI they're getting tells a them. Signal and it's then like, they'll do the can thing. Can we just bring back the thing that they used to hold in front of them? No more of these in shirt chest protectors. Like oh from when gosh. you and I, I were kids, I haven't it's thought like about that. In yeah, so it was long. like a big, huge piece of styrofoam. It was like a shield. Stick yeah. Their, yeah, it was like a shield. They would just stick their head out the top of it. It's like if they're just going to be looking, <laughs> if they're just there for decoration, effectively. Might as well make them hold that again. Why not? So in the first hour, we also like talked about what sort of like bothers us uh, just a little bit. I, and we'll get to that yeah. a little later. No, because... no, no. Fake thumbs up. That was uh, that was just Daniele uh, amending a plan in my oh, ear. Okay. So don't get too uh, excited. I need the plans too, boys. Okay, I need well, the here, plans here, too, boys, here, or my segues we, are going to be terrible. We have not heard from Josh Donaldson yet. We may hear from him. We may hear earlier than expected from one John McDonald, who's also going to join us. Not here yet, but not just here letting, yet. Okay. letting it be known. So yes. I will continue uh, to talk about, uh, actually, you know what? We'll hear from John Schneider, if you guys could pull that up oh. uh, from the first hour, because 
you know, he obviously comes out. He gets thrown at himself because he's defending George Springer. That's what he's got to do. Uh, did he get out of the uh, the dugout fast enough? I don't really care. Like, that. if you're yeah, upset about that, uh, then, you know, whatever. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, I think this is the right clip here with uh, Schneider on Springer's eject- ejection. And a thing that I just bothers me mm. about the Blue Jays uh, overall in this season and Schneider specifically is that everything has to be couched. Even Schneider talking about an umpire who he was screaming at and face to face with on the field a couple hours later, not even he's talking about how umpiring is hard. Let's so let's hear, let's hear Schneider on Springer's ejection uh, yesterday afternoon. Nothing he said was out of line, I don't think. He was kind of stating his case that he thought the pitch was low and um, he was on his way back to the dugout. So um, at that point, um, usually you kind of just let a star player go back to the dugout. And, um, yeah, what he said I don't think warranted an ejection. I know what I said did, but um, that's (laughs) neither here nor there. But you hate seeing, you know, guys kind of doing what what they should and still being run. So obviously there was less flattery for the umpire Mm -hmm. uh, in that clip. But yeah, it just seems like everything that comes from Schneider is, you know, it's a little bit more difficult than you think. Or Mm -hmm. we're trying really hard and they try hard and they put the work in. It seems like everything has to be couched. Even criticism of umpires in moments that are heated and mean a lot. And that game, like... Yeah, five and two road trip, mm-hmm. great. Yep. Boston and Cleveland, great to go five and two on a road trip. I guess if you add the context of losing three or four to the Orioles mm-hmm. in the previous week, like everything sort of balances itself out. But if you choose to be self-serving and look at seven games, yeah, five and two is great. But foot on the throat stuff, like at some point it's got the, the intensity level has to ramp up just a little bit where it's not, you know, umpiring's hard and, you know, whatever he said wasn't, you know, that bad. Like maybe it was and should have been bad and maybe people should be a little bit more angry and maybe things should just be a little bit more t- intense than they seem to be. And I get that in June, it doesn't have to be like that all the time. But at some point here, again, with the Mariners breathing down your neck, I do want to see a little fire and yeah, maybe George Springer showed a little bit of that, but I would like to see that from more than just one guy every now and then after they get rung up in a big situation. At some point, it's got to feel like it's a little bit more important than it has to this point. It's the hardest thing about talking about baseball is that, you know, when we have these conversations about the Leafs, right? And it's like, God, can you just bear down and hold on to a lead or go out and wake up? It Like, it is an effort sport. It is a bear down thing. With baseball, it doesn't work that way. You can't just try your way to a big hit. Like, you do have to kind of stay within yourself. So I'm always very conflicted on on that in terms of how, how you approach it. Because, of course, you want to be intense, but you can only do that to a point in this sport. Okay, let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don, Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is none other than former Blue Jay John McDonald, who's on the line with us now. Good morning, John. How are we doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? Uh, We are doing pretty good. So your time in Toronto preceded that of Jose Bautista, who, of course, is being elevated to the level of excellence this weekend. I think you were there two seasons before Bautista was traded to the Blue Jays in 2008. So first impression then, because you were there before he made his legend in the city. What was your first impression of young Jose Bautista? Um, that, that first year was it was kind of fun to watch him figure it out uh, over the course of his first full season in Toronto. And he played multiple positions, played in the outfield, played third base. He kind of bounced in between positions. I think we asked him to play some first base, and then he 
I think you saw I think you saw a player that really understood baseball, understood his role, uh, understood his his path to getting to the big leagues and you know, where he was. And I think it was 2009 when he hit 54 homers. Um, that year was great, but it was the it was the September before that when he started to find his swing. And when that was going on, you kind of saw it in batting practice. You saw it. You saw it in, in games, and he was surprising himself. And then, then he wasn't surprising himself, and then he started expecting it. Yeah, that, must that, be, was, that was fun to watch. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, John. It just must be no. such an interesting thing for a baseball player to kind of see, right? Because, you know, it is such a sport of consistency and runs. And quite honestly, guys don't find it late in their career like he did all that often. Like, I wonder what it was like for you as teammates to kind of see it producing in games. And, you know, we've seen this before where a guy comes up and he has a good September or August and September go well. And then we know what it bled into for, for the next year. But like, how much belief was there from, from you guys? And again, as a guy who like you were there before he, he came, what was it like to kind of watch him uh, kind of form into what he became? Yeah, so I, mean, I was sitting in the dugout with Dwayne, Dwayne Murphy, one of, our, one of our hitting coaches, and, and just talking. We talked about Jose's swing a lot of how good of a hitter he was. And Dwayne just said he, he was, you know, he's a, a little bit away from, from really figuring this thing out. And, and credit to the, the two of them and Jose for making adjustments. He's a big league hitter, changing his his timing he, he was trying to perfect his timing and when he found that that click um we weren't we weren't surprised at all because we were talking about how good of a hitter he was and, and could be it just wasn't showing up um at seven o'clock yet and he wasn't having that timing against the good big league pitching and and being able to stay back on a on a breaking ball and then i mean his 50 54 homers homer season i remember being in in minnesota at the end of that year and and having a, just having a bat ready, I'm like, hey, Jose, you need to sign this bat for me. When the season <laughs> ends, and he wrote, he he signed a bat, and he wrote, um, um, he he wrote, I think he wrote fifty. He was about to write fifty three homers. I think he had a home run on the last day. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second, what did he do one today? <laughs> and uh, so we ended up getting the fifty four on it. Um, it. It was it was. You know, I mean, his legacy as a as a Blue Jay, I think, coming from someone that had been with so many teams, and then you know, being you know, really loved by a city for um, you know, not just homers, but I mean, he played hard. And I, I know I mean, it gets harder to play hard every day as you get older, but he he ran hard down the line. He really enjoyed playing the outfield. He liked being a leader. I think that was one of the things that separated him from some other players was he he decided that at some point during his his run of, of hitting homers and being a little bit more of a face of the franchise. And he decided I'm going to lead this, lead this team and I'm going to be able to do things that are, that are special, that are going to lift other players up. And when I think about the level of excellence in, in Toronto, that's what I would expect a player to have done in their career to, to be on that level. And you know, he, he showed that during his time. Yeah, you nailed it there. I mean, there's leadership and there were the home runs. And I wonder, you know, the chicken and the egg thing, which came first? Uh, did he need the home runs to become that leader? Or was he, you know, before he, because you mentioned, you know, he started to come around and you saw it before he started clubbing 54 out. Uh, did he have those qualities then, even before he became, you know, the self-made superstar that he was? Yeah, he had the qualities just through the way he, he, he played because he was, he, he wanted to bring people along with him because he liked to play hard. He liked to win. And the, that that combination, I, I don't think I think the I think the leadership portion was in there, um, you know, 
showing it for everybody and saying, hey, I can lead you on the field. I'm also going to lead you off. And, and, and having the success, the massive amounts of success that he had, you know, I think allowed for that leadership to really, to really come through and, and blossom. But I think they were both there. Um, you do need some success on the field to really lead everybody. Um, really, really tough to lead when you're, you know, I know, I know this from experience, but when you're hitting 230, it's really hard to go out there and say, hey, guys, follow me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I hear this, and we've been talking to a lot of Batista's former teammates. We talked to Jay Happ yesterday, and we were kind of talking to him about the idea of the role of a manager with a team with personalities like that. I mean, you know, I was looking at your managers. I think it was Farrell and Gaston in your time in Toronto. And, you know, you can, you can bring up other guys from other stops, but what is the role of a manager in a clubhouse and kind of leading things? Because, you know, there was a change. The Blue Jays made one last year. And part of it was you needed a little bit more of an intense voice. And now we're a year into a new manager and it's like, eh, maybe they need a different, more intense voice this time. And I'm sure that's just us kind of grasping for things on the outside what is the job of a manager on a on a big league ball club and how different is it depending on the kind of makeup of the team yeah you're you're, you're hitting it there with the makeup of the team and understanding understanding who you have and the personalities you have the the people you're i want to say managing the ones you're trying to guide um yeah i see the role as a manager of of you know someone that sets standards for players um holds them accountable and allows them to be themselves um, under those, you know, under those guidelines, you, you want to let your players play. You want to let your coaches coach. So as, as a as a manager, you you hire staff and you want them to be able to do their do their jobs. So it's, it's empowering your staff to empower your players to want to learn, to want to get to the ballpark early, to want to play hard, to want to play for each other. You know, that's the that's the gift of some of the managers that I've been with. They've been able to galvanize players, not just do it for themselves, to do it for each other. Um, you know, through uh through a way that allows them to understand that, Hey, this, you know, we, we do have expectations. Those expectations come from the top. They come from the manager. They come from the front office. And when you go and do those things and you start having success and you see wins on the field, it's a lot easier to play for each other. So I, I think you need the combination. You, you know, your, your team has to play well. You can't just throw, you can't just have a, have a, a system and say, this is going to work for every group of players we put in a clubhouse. It, it doesn't work that way. The, the players have to care because they feel like the, they got to they want to work every day. They want to want to have a mindset of getting better every day. I mean, that, that comes from inside them. And when they have it a little bit, good managers and good coaches, they can pull that out of players to make it consistent. Yeah, you can't hold hands in baseball, though, right? Like, I think, you know, obviously 2015 is the touch point for most Blue Jays fans uh, of this vintage, at least, going back to that season. And it's just like a long list of professionals from like Troy Tulowitzki brought in, David Price brought in, Josh Donaldson already there, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion. These guys didn't have to be motivated themselves. And I think that does bring it back to Jose Bautista because like if I'm naming someone that like changed the expectations for this franchise in this current era, it is Jose because he arrived at a time where uh, maybe there weren't so many expectations and maybe it was more difficult back then to compete in the American League East. But when he arrived, it wasn't like an immediate team dynamic change but eventually it did happen and the team grew to have those runs in 2015 and 2016 behind uh jose bautista and that really impressive group so do you do you consider like the changes that you probably felt in that franchise like uh, the the most driving force or the most powerful force driving that forward was just the arrival of jose bautista 
Yeah, I, I don't know about the I don't know about the arrival. I feel like so my my I got traded in 2011 to to Arizona. So I think it was, it was he was he got there in, in nine and then ten. And I, I felt like it it happened it happened over time. You had you you had some players come and go to come along and and join the join the ride. And you you, you can't do it by yourself. So Jose being a foundational piece of taking that team to the next level when more players were added that were playing up to his level that, that, I mean, you're making some additions. I wouldn't, wouldn't lay it all on, on Jose. I don't think it was like, Oh my gosh, we have, we have Jose. Jose built that over the course of, of his time there. And you get to the middle of the, the peak of that when you've got pitching and, and you've got some other guys in the lineup that are, are hitting around him that says, Hey, we have to pitch to Jose. You know, those, those, those key combinations really made it feel like, wow, this is really something special now because you got a whole other bunch of group of guys that are pulling on the same rope and you got Jose right in the middle of it. Yeah, it's one thing when you have uh, one dangerous bat, but when he can be protected by a couple of others, uh, it certainly makes everybody all the more dangerous. You know, we've been kind of uh, on the morning show here. We've been kind of collecting the voices of, uh, you know, the guys who have hit all the biggest homers in Jay's history. And, you know, I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but we talked to Batista. We talked to Carter. We've had Encarnacion on. We did not uh, get, I'm trying to think of other ones, but we'd be remiss. We didn't talk to you about yours. I mean, does not have the meaning in a season, but to everyone who watched it, to you, your Father's Day homer, I, I imagine that's something that you still think about all this day. I imagine it chokes you up, you know, having lost my own father. I know the, you know, the feelings you're going through. I am a father now. I feel differently about that than when I first experienced it. Uh, I imagine that's something you'll never forget, just uh, if we could reminisce on that that wonderful homer back in 2010. Yeah, it's been some really good homers in Blue, Jay, in Blue Jays history. Yeah, I think being, uh, you know, having that, having worked, working through that as a, as a as a player as a new father, um, we had a my 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 son who I didn't know was a son was on the way at the time, and you know, I think just just trying to figure out how to navigate loss loss of a loved one in that whole moment, and then having something happen that that changed that that changed a little bit of my my perspective on uh, what was going on in my life at the time, and and how fortunate I was to be around a group of teammates and, and be in a city that thought that that was. Um, a moment to to talk about instead of not be able to talk about. I think that was a, the weirdest part. Was how do you talk to somebody after you know when they come up to you and they ask you about your you know your father or somebody really close to you that passes away, and and being able to have that segment of of something else to add into that and, and a little bit more of a celebration of of life instead of just thinking as we all do like what just happened and how do I get over this and really help me get over it. But I think it, it helped, it helped my family and it, it bridged the gap for, for, for my teammates to be able to say, hey, this is uh, how you doing instead of, you know, just shaking their head. Is, is he ever talking about it? Their locker is, yeah, I wonder how he's going to be when he comes back. And uh, it wasn't like that at all. It, uh, you know, the, the group of players were really good, but this, this, the city and the, the talking to fans even that day or days after um, of, of shared memories of, of people that we lost. It's, I think that one makes it even more special uh, for that moment. And, and you know, the accumulation of moments, uh, you're a cult hero in this city. So we know how blue Jays fans feel about you, but uh, you know, what did it mean for you to be a Toronto blue Jay? Um, I, I, I never thought it was a big leaguer until 2007 playing in Toronto. Um, I think that was, like, if I figured out that I could play major league baseball, I could compete with my, my teammates. I always felt, 
a little bit lesser than. I think that's what the ident- the identifiable part of that is when you know when you go to a ballpark as a young kid, you you don't ever think that that's going to happen that you're going to be out on the middle of that field and 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 working to it. And was in the big leagues with, with Cleveland for parts of six years and just I just felt like I was on the outside all the time. I was just trying to prove myself every day. But then you know 2007 hit and um, the the group of players that were there, the, the coaching staff that just you know, Gibby allowed me to allowed me to play. It was real honest and upfront with me all the time about where I was in my in my career. And I, I think that year and the enjoyment of walking around Toronto and being able to make eye contact with people instead of you know head down, just I need to get to my locker because you know. I, you know, and you know, no one likes to be, be be judged, but we all are. We all do it, and we we see somebody, we we think about what they what they do. Or if you talk about baseball players, you know, and it's two twenty, and you know, it's got no power, and you're like, all right, I want to put my head down. I know the guys inside the stadium are gonna they're gonna have a smile on their face when I walk by, but you're trying to prove yourself, and being able to feel like I was proving myself, not just to my teammates, but the other teammates around the league, and then feeling it in the city, and the enjoyment of just being around and looking at looking at the people of Toronto as I walked around the city. I mean, we live right next to the stadium for, for all of my years there. So being able to have those connections as it, as it went on and being able to, to do things out in the community and, and feel like, Hey, I am a big part of this organization, whether or not I am the best producer on this field or not, it is awesome to be able to represent the, the, the city of Toronto and you know, at times feeling like you're representing Canada, which, you know, from, you know, kid growing up in small town in Connecticut, feeling like you're having an impact on some people across the, across the country of Canada that, yeah, it meant an awful lot. I can confirm you. Uh, you Still definitely does. did not just for that homer, but for uh, for everything else. Uh, man, we uh, we get some life lessons from you here. We end up we start out talking <laughs> about Joey Bats, and we get life lessons with Johnny Mac. Not a bad way to uh, to start the morning. Uh, we really appreciate this. Thank you so much, John. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There he goes, uh, John McDonald, of course, uh, former Jay. That insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That was awesome. Great just to catch up a, with Johnny Mac. Took a turn. Uh, yeah, I mean, a very. Uh, I was about to be like thoughtful. You got a good Gibby story, a but felt a little weird off the back of that to be like, "Tell me about a time John Gibbons was spitting Shaw in the clubhouse or something." <laughs> Would have just felt a little odd. So uh, yeah. we might have to save that for Josh Donaldson next time if we Maybe. if we get a chance to catch up uh, with Josh. Get your wake and rake submissions in. We're going for three in a row. You know what happens when we're on a hot streak? I get cute. I'm going with the EPL. Oh, we'll get to that later. Say we lose. I thought we, is what and you were no. Say. When I get cute, we lose. So that's okay. that's maybe the problem. Um, but maybe you can uh, maybe you can change my mind if you get a good pick in and we can roll with that. We will do the wake and rake to close the show. But after the break, we'll catch up with Jesse Rogers of ESPN to talk about the Cubs, maybe a little White Sox. And of course, the series this weekend with the Blue Jays hosting the Cubs on the level of excellence weekend for Jose Bautista. We will do all that after the break. In-depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590 Fan, final block. Bautista, level of excellence this weekend. Very, very exciting stuff. 
Let's bring in our next guest to tee up uh, this weekend series, the actual baseball, because the festivities will be the festivities, but important games ahead for the Blue Jays and the Chicago Cubs. That next guest is Jesse Rogers of ESPN. Good morning, Jesse. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Good morning to you guys. Uh, so the Cubs are a bit of a fascinating case, right? Because I was hearing last, late last month, I guess, that, you know, Stroman's going somewhere, Bellinger's going somewhere. These guys were supposed to be traded, but they weren't. So uh, how did the Chicago Cubs get rerouted in the way that they did? Yeah, there are a lot of scouts out there that wasted their expense accounts following the Cubs around, especially Bellinger, because I know there are a lot of teams interested. And then they pull them off the market. Yeah, I, I've covered baseball for a long time, and I don't think I've ever seen it um, switch so quickly like that near the trade deadline. They needed to do some serious damage in the standings um, post-All-Star break. They started three and four. Time was running out, and then they reeled off eight in a row. Some of it was predictable. The schedule looked favorable. Their offense actually had signs that it was going to come together like it has, but you didn't know if it would happen before August 1st, the trade deadline. And it did just in time. So it's kind of one of those dramatic moments you don't normally get in a baseball season where a team goes from selling to buying. And I'd probably point to that offense. I mean, you'd have to. It was insane the, the second half of July there. Wrigley Field was, was a hitter's paradise for a while. But um, some things that were going wrong early in a really, really dramatically bad way finally turned for them. And uh, that offense really carried the day and they were able to add instead of subtract. And that, that's been the difference, really. It, 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 it's been their offense, which probably is coming back down to earth a little bit here. So you might be getting them at a good time because it was going so well. I mean, here's my point. It was going so bad early that it was bound to change. Then it was going so well for those three, four weeks um, that it's actually bound to change again. And I think it has a little bit. They came back down to earth against the Mets and, We'll see. I think it's it's it, their run is going to normalize a little here. So you're not. I'm guessing you may not get the best version of the Cubs. They're they're patchworking their starting staff a little bit, um, but they were really good at the end of July when they needed to be. Yeah, I was looking at the the probables for the series, and it looks like the the guy who's starting tonight uh, a bit of an opener. You know, I understand he's had pretty good results uh, from what you've seen out of uh, Javier Assad there, but uh, is that yeah. is that the case? He's been mostly an opener for them, and what would they typically be looking to get? Kind of two or three, and maybe if it's anything beyond that, it's gravy. Or what's typically been the game plan with him? Yeah, no, this is I, I don't know if this is the first or second time, but it, 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 that he's done this, it's not been a normal thing. I mean, maybe maybe the first, I can't remember now. But it has not been a normal thing. Um, Drew Smiley has not been very good lately. They just pulled him from the starting staff. He was it, it, Their starting staff has been crazy. I mean, you guys understand how this works. Uh, guys are really good, and then they're bad, and then, or guys are really bad, and then they're good. It's, just, it's hard to find consistency sometimes, and Drew Smiley um, uh, qualifies. He was really good. Then he's had some struggles, so they pulled him. So, yeah, Assad may be an opener, but he, it, it's, it's not like they're, they're – it's unclear exactly what his role is going to be. It's probably going to be more than one inning. It probably won't be more than three, though. So it's something like that. And they're just going to – it's more of a bullpen game than an opener. So it's kind of like they'll probably let him go as long as he can go. And if that's two, three, maybe four even, that's great. Um, he, hasn't, he hasn't been stretched out. So it's, it's, it's going to be on the shorter side, and they'll just go with that bullpen game. Smiley might find his way into the game, but just as a relief arm for a couple innings. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a patchwork with Stroman on the IL and Smiley struggling like he is. 
Uh, so Cody Bellinger was an interesting name, a hot topic in the offseason in this market because uh, the Blue yeah. Jays needed a left-handed bat. They needed someone who was going to bring some balance. They needed kind of a buy-low candidate. They needed someone who might have uh, boom potential uh, and have very, very little risk. Uh, of course, they didn't end up getting Cody Bellinger, who went to the Cubs, and, and Brandon Belt uh, has played that role for the Blue Jays this year, too. Uh, decent results. Uh, but Bell- the hope and the intrigue in Bellinger was that he could maybe recapture an elite level uh, if given the opportunity in the right situation. And now if you could have a choice between the two, I mean, Cody Bellinger, the season he's putting up is exactly what you would have wanted. Uh, how has he rediscovered that form that made him uh, one of the best hitters in baseball for a period of time? Yeah. I mean, if you talk to his people, he's been real sort of under the radar about talking about it. I think he probably doesn't want to jinx or whatever. If you talk to his people, people around him, it, it, it's about his health, his shoulder, number one. He also had a foot injury in 21 um, that I think set him back and, and screwed up his mechanics. So the combination of, of the shoulder and the, and the leg and, and getting back to his old mechanics, so to speak, um, has been the solution. I think the change of scenery, new voices, all the usual reasons a guy rediscovers things, I think, are, are, are all part of it. I don't know the entire story with Toronto, but I, I heard in general – that maybe not every contending team was ready to just hand him 600 plate appearances. I mean, he was really bad the last two or three years. And so the Cubs weren't sure they were going to contend. They were willing to give him center field and all the at-bats versus lefties and righties. I was actually surprised he, he chose Chicago because hitting there in April and May isn't, isn't great. And um, when you're trying to rediscover your swing in, in April weather, it's probably not the best place. So you can find other places to hit. But he chose the Cubs, and he's been hitting from day one. So I, I kind of, you know, wouldn't mind to dissect that a little bit. Were contending teams a little nervous about him, you know, because they want they couldn't take the time to to work that reclamation project, or did the Cubs just outbid everyone? I mean, I, I think the Cubs did spend a good number on him, seventeen million for a guy that has struggled. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting how it's all gone down but they just say health and a new new uh, new new scene a new vibe has been the difference for them yeah, I mean, with the Blue Jays specifically, they chose to go the Kevin Kiermeyer route in center field. Obviously, that's a way different profile, also a way different kind of price bracket. But yeah, you do wonder if they knew that this was lurking. I bet they would have stepped up if it was just money that was standing between them and Bellinger, as nice as Kiermeyer has been for them. Uh, former Jay that I do want to ask you about uh, has been a pretty important Cub for the last couple of seasons, and that's Marcus Stroman. You know, he was such an interesting character in his time here. It always felt like he was dying to be everybody's big brother but he was their little brother uh what's a maybe more mature and i don't even say that as a knock but just a uh a, a few years older version of marcus stroman what's his time been like uh, in chicago yeah no it's been pretty good it's been pretty good i think the i think a medium market like chicago if, he, if he's going to be in a big market uh chicago is pretty good spot for him it just it just feels right for him um having said that he still teeters on uh, being a guy that can be, draw some headlines. I mean, that tweet midseason where he was talking about his contract while the team was 10 under, didn't sit well with anybody, even though he was pitching great at the time. So you got to read the room a little bit. Even if you're doing your job, if the team's not doing well, you, you got to be a little careful on that. At least that's my opinion. He obviously does, didn't, didn't agree. He wanted to put it out there. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a good spot for him. It's been a good spot, and he's pitched well until recently. Um, I think he's just 
you know, I worry about small guys sometimes. I give I give small guys tons of credit. It's you know, I'm a small guy. I can't I can't play professional sports, but you can wear down a little bit, right? I mean, I see you look at some of the championship teams and some of the great pitchers. There's these guys are big hulking guys. They're the Cubs 16 championship team was full of big pitchers. I just worry the Cubs have a smaller staff in in general, except for Jamison Tyon. And you worry about wearing down a little bit. And I think that applied to Stroman uh, this year. So he, 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 his hip was, was sore. Was He was tiring. They put him on the IL. Let's see what he looks like when he comes back. But he was on a Cy Young pace for a while. Just could not keep it up. He struggled before the break, struggled after the break. They put him on the IL. But he's been a good big brother, little brother um, in general for this team. And I, I, I think he's probably learned from the past. New York probably wasn't the best spot for him. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people that go to New York or Boston and leave and feel better about leaving than they did when when, when they when they arrived there for a lot of different reasons. So um, they need him down the stretch. Long story short, they definitely need him down the stretch. Uh, height can't measure heart, but maybe it can measure durability, uh, it seems, uh, at the starting pitching yeah, position. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you mentioned the Cubs, you know, uh, their, their run before the deadline affects what they do at the deadline. Of course, teams are affected by what happens at the deadline and after the deadline. And we've seen teams uh, sort of take on different personalities since uh, decisions were made at the roster level or the final decisions were made at the roster level. I mean, the Angels have kind of fallen apart. Uh, the Mariners have surged. Uh, the Mariners traded their close to the Diamondbacks, or the Diamondbacks are now in trouble. Uh, what team, uh, you know, with that reference point in mind, the reference point being the trade deadline, has maybe changed their reality or had their reality changed or is different since the trade deadline? Well, you got to be careful um, where the correlations lie. Like, I mean, the Angels traded for a couple good players. That's not the reason they've tanked. I just think it was predictable they might go backwards because they're not very good. <laughs> You know, they're just not that good, and adding a player or two wasn't enough for them. So, um, you know, the team that probably should have done a little bit more is the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, uh, I'm based in the Midwest here, so I kind of have more of an eye on them than than the teams out West. The Cincinnati Reds had such a good offense, and have um, a pitching staff is so young, even though they're getting a couple players back from injury. I feel like you need experience, um, whether it be in the lineup or on the mound. Now, you're not replacing the rookies in the lineup because these are good rookies. Let them learn. Let them you know, hopefully win, whatever. But they probably could have added some players on the mound. And so the Reds are starting to fall a little bit. Um, now, they're a year early anyway, so maybe the urgency wasn't there. Where And maybe the same could be said about the Diamondbacks. I mean, I think the Padres should have um, sold their players. If you really want to know where the trade deadline for teams, like I don't have a problem with the Angels going for it, even though I think it was a mistake. They're trying to retain Otani, one shot at him with the playoffs. Okay, fine. But San Diego should have moved Hader. It should have moved Blake Snell. They should have restocked their farm system. That's the team at the trade deadline that made mistakes. I, I can live with Arizona and Cincinnati because they're a year early. Um, you know, the Angels, like I said, with Otani, a little bit unique situation. But San Diego was holding on to, to, to hope that wasn't there. And, and you're seeing it now. They're still way out of the race in general. 
five games under 500. So that's the team that I think screwed up at the deadline more than anybody. I'm totally with you on the Padres. Having said that, the Jays played them in a three-game set or whatever it was, and I'm watching them, and I'm like, yeah, this team should probably win the World Series. Bit of a talent discrepancy. How do you you sell? Like, it's so tough. I am with you. The right thing to do specifically on Hayter for sure, for sure. But, yeah, the idea of of watching that team every day and not talking yourself into. I agree. Yeah, it's like they're going to. They're going to go 20. They're going to go 24 and four in a month. Like, why can't that happen? It's just easy. Here, to talk here, 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 yeah, go here's ahead. my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. I don't disagree with you on the surface. They, they do look good, but, and this is why the Cubs, you know, even though that when the Cubs made the moves that they did at the deadline, they were only 500. The difference was in that moment, they proved to their front office. They were good. The Padres for four months yep. had chances to prove to their front office. They were good. Look, anything can happen. We know the Braves a couple of years ago. Everybody uses that. But you have to show your, your, your front office some signs. Now, also, every situation is different. They had a player in Josh Hader that could, got, could have gotten you so much at the mm-hmm. deadline, let alone Snell as well. I don't know what the Braves in 21. I don't remember what they had. But, like, some teams don't have much choices but to stand pat. So they do, and then they go win. But the Padres had a choice to restock a farm they've depleted over the years. And four months later, your team hasn't shown you anything. I think the front office has to react to that, not just um, wish that August is going to change everything. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally I'm totally with you there. Uh, and then yeah, they, it's funny the Reds are pretty interesting, right? They're kind of a year behind, maybe a year and a half, two years behind where the Orioles are now. And you saw them kind of dip their toe in at the trade deadline, but it wasn't too too big of a of a splash. The NL Central, it feels like it's our last hope. Are we going to have a real division race down the stretch here, or do you think one of these teams separates themselves? Well, if one of them separates themselves, it'll be the Cubs. It'll be the Cubs. I know that probably for people that looking from the outside in would be surprising because they've been trailing the whole time, but the schedule really favors them just the second half of this month. After Toronto, they play four straight series against really the worst teams in baseball. While the Milwaukee Brewers go to Los Angeles, they go to Texas, they host the Twins, and they host the Padres, who, like you said, are still somewhat dangerous. But that's three division leaders in a row. While the Cubs are playing the White Sox, the Royals, the Tigers, um, I can't remember who the last one is, but it's a bad opponent. Four straight, and then they play each other at the end of the month. So I, I think it's going to be good. For, I have the utmost respect with Craig Council in Milwaukee. He's always there. They're, they're always there. He's, he's a great manager. So I don't think the Cubs will separate themselves because they're flawed. So I think it's the, the answer to your question is it will be a race. It, it'll be a good one. The season ends in Milwaukee, the Cubs at Brewers, which is great with this new schedule. You don't always get that, um, you know, that, that drama building to those moments, but it looks like it will. Could be wrong, of course. I'm open to Cincinnati going on a run just because their offense is so good. But I think it's a two-team race, and I do think the Cubs will move into first place by the end of the month, but then they'll be jockeying, I think, uh, in September. That's just my guess, and I think it may come down to the final weekend. Who knows? Okay, Jesse, we can't let you go without a Blue Jays take. Uh, they're currently holding down the final wild card spot in the American League East. The Mariners are right there on their trails, or on their heels, rather. Uh, it seems like the Blue Jays could move up. It seems like the Blue Jays could move down. But when you look at them now, when you look at the situation in the American League, is it as simple as, hey, they, maybe they are the sixth best team in the American League? Yes, I think that's a great way of putting it. They're, they're, they, just, they remind me of the same team that I saw last year in a lot of ways. They're good. 
They're very good. They're just not among the elite yet, and I don't know when that's going to happen. I, I've been on the station before. You mentioned Bellinger. You've got to balance out that lineup. Uh, how many home runs from left-handed hitters this year? I don't think many. I, last time I looked, you're downranked like 28th in that category. Like You need some lefty-on-lefty lefty home runs. You need some lefty home runs in general. You face so many good righties. If you want a ninth inning comeback, you need against all those righty um, closers in baseball. You need a lefty that'll jump or two that will, will will pop you a home run here and there. Like it's not the most balanced lineup. The starting staff is because of Manoa mostly. He's probably underachieved a little bit. That I, I feel like I've said this a few times about the Blue Jays. It's just a good team. It's not Houston. It's not Texas. It's not even Tampa. Um, it's not Atlanta. It's right below that. Now, right below that can still upset you in the playoffs. Look, any like you're good enough to upset anyone, but I wouldn't consider them one of the elite teams. So sixth in baseball, sixth in the eight makes a lot of sense to me. They're right below the really elite teams. Yep, uh, chipping and share is what they're, I guess, going to rely on because uh, just getting in seems to be uh, the most important thing for the Blue Jays, and they'll continue that pursuit this weekend with the Chicago Cubs in town. Uh, Jesse, this was a lot of fun. We appreciate you coming on this morning. Sure thing. Enjoy the series. Talk to you soon. Uh, you as well. That's Jesse Rogers of ESPN. Uh, we got about five minutes, which leaves enough time for the Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. So, quick update on the uh, FedEx St. Jude. I forced you into making selections so that I could uh, blindside potentially You didn't Ailish. have to force me to do that. You you tried to force me to bet on Rory McIlroy. No, we should have yesterday. That's okay. Patrick Cantlay did squat. I actually don't know where Cantlay is, but uh, I think McIlroy had the edge on him yesterday. But uh, my guy, Emiliano Grillo, just hanging out at the top of the leaderboard. That go. leaderboard yesterday looked a lot like, with the exception of Jordan Spieth, the Wyndham. Like, mm-hmm. I just, like, opened the app and was like, oh, this is the same guys who were in contention last week. Now, of course, Morikawa uh, made some inroads, and Jordan Spieth obviously had the round of the day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, might have been worth looking at guys who had a good week last week. Uh, but we will... Morikawa, for- who I selected. Yeah, just, you, yeah. just don't bury the lead there. You yeah, know? you got Morikawa. Yeah, he's there. Guys fighting for Hawaii. He's donating like $1,000 for every birdie because there's wildfires out there. That, that, He's got something is. on the line. That he is. So uh, rack up those birdies, but maybe mix in a few bogeys so that uh, we can cash some tickets. Or I can cash some tickets, more importantly. Uh, as I mentioned before, when we're hot, I get cute. Uh, the EPL season starts today. Manchester City and Burnley. We know Manchester, Manchester City is the class of English football. Uh, they are minus money to win the title, and the season hasn't started yet, so that mm. tells you about where they stand in uh, English football. I'm just going to take them on the, uh, what, what is the, there's the run line in baseball, there's the puck line. I don't know what it is in soccer, but I'm taking them to win by more than one goal. The dive line is what I'd call it. The that's dive line, a bad, okay. That's, a, bad soccer that's a little over plus money. I think that's about plus 105. So that will be my pick today. Okay, uh, I'm just going to quickly say this. I've not got to do this yet, but I've decided I am an Arsenal fan. They're the Gunners. My name is Gunner. So uh, just good luck to my <laughs> beloved Arsenal tomorrow morning at 7.30 when they beat the wheels off Nottingham Forest, I guess, I hope. In terms of what's going to happen tonight, you get cute, I get lazy. I think <laughs> I have come on here every single day and bet the Blue Jays under Generally speaking, the Blue Jays have a good starting pitching going most nights. Look at that. It's Jose Barrios. Now, 
The guy just told us about the opener and maybe the Cubs are going to come back down to earth. But back down to earth means the offense too. I don't think the Jays are going to put up a huge number tonight. The under is nine and a half. You got to pay 130 for it. But give me the under Jays and Cubs. Nine and a half. Barrios on the mound. Yes, please. Okay, two submissions in. Uh, one will be paired with yours. And this has been a strategy that has worked for us. Uh, Courier Chris uh, likes Barrios over five and a half strikeouts against the Cubs today. And then we got a little Padres love from Corey from Port Hope. Mm. His wake and rake pick today will be Padres uh, minus 0.5 in the first five inning line. Big series for the Padres. He likes Snell uh, and the rest of the big Padres players to perform tonight. Jesse Rogers isn't as bullish but Corey from Port Hope is, uh, do you have a preference between those two? Yeah, I like the Burrios case there. I do. I just hearing everything we heard out of Jesse, he was just poo-pooing the uh, Padres, and he was just saying the Cubs are dying to come screeching back down to earth offensively. So I think that's probably the way to go is uh, the Burrios case there. Uh, that line is not immediately available okay. to me. So we'll go but with something we will, else? No, we will take it okay. anyway. I mean, you're going to be able to find Barrios K's uh, at your leisure eventually. It just might not be available right now to you. Uh, if you put that parlay together with the under, Man City, and Jose Barrios, you're going to get a pretty good one because we got some plus money in there, and we've got two plays that are around even money. So there is your wake and rake for today. We're going for three in a row. My, my gunners, second best chances to win the Premier your, League title, your plus a, 450. Your gunners had a good offseason. Declan Rice, English international. I've heard one, of him. One of the biggest uh, transfers, at least in the EPL. I've, I've heard of him, but I've also heard that I'm signing myself up for basically being a Leaf fan of just like, hey, doing well, and then ultimately crushing defeat. So should be fun. Can't wait. The only difference is that they can recklessly spend money if oh, they so choose. God, I would love. And I guess and I got to, now I got to basket My guy, Declan Rice, I guess. Uh, Ailish Forfar is back with us next week. She will not be back Monday, though. It'll be me and Jesse Rubinoff on Monday. Ailish will be back Tuesday and throughout the rest of the week. Uh, Gunner, this was fun this week. Uh, an abbreviated one, but a fun one at that. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, since I worked so little on Monday, I'm going to hang around for an extra hour. Golf show coming up with me and McKee. So I'm going to sign off. It's been a fun week. Shout out to my guys behind the glass, Andrew and Daniele. It's been Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.